If we haven't met before, my name is Brad Cheney. I'm one of the pastors here at All Saints. And to start off, I want you to listen to a well-known proverb that's part of the Jewish Christian wisdom tradition. It's a simple proverb. It's 1225 in the book of Proverbs, and it reads this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. What an, an, an apt description of life. You know, worry and anxiety are depicted as this extra weight that we carry around with us. Imagine going through life with a backpack on into which everything you're worried about is stuffed. You know, am I going to get into the right college? And it's like, boom, more weight. Am, uh, am I going to get the, the grades in order to get the job? You know, more weight. I'm stuck in a job that I can't stand. Will it always be this way? You know, some more weight. Uh, maybe you're afraid that you're going to get a divorce like your parents did. Maybe you're afraid you're not going to have enough money for, you know, whatever, for retirement. You know, some of these are five-pound weights, and some of them are, are like 100-pounders. But each of these worries adds additional heaviness to the pack that we are carrying. And then just when it felt like we had no more room in our pack, along comes a pandemic, and with it, it's unprecedented, uh, unprecedented load. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But do you know what the second half of the proverb says? Because proverbs are always in two parts. It says, but... A good word makes him glad. I mean, could Easter have come at any more opportune moment than right now? The good word of resurrection. I mean, we need to hear about the resurrection hope all the time, but especially right now, um, the great resurrection hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of all places, it is found for us in a psalm of David, Psalm 16. Probably you've never heard an Easter sermon preached from Psalm 16, but this is a psalm written by the great uh, king of Israel, David, written some 1,000 years before Jesus uh, was uh, alive. And it's an Easter psalm. Let me read it to you. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. And then the very next verse reads literally, for you will not abandon my soul to shale, sheol, I'm going to probably mispronounce it multiple times in this sermon, you will not abandon my soul to sheol, which is the Hebrew, or in Greek, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption, for you have made known to me the path of life, 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Uh, We know that Psalm 16 is an Easter psalm because it is twice quoted in the book of Acts by apostles as being proof of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In fact, the very first Christian sermon that was preached by the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he stands up in front of his Jewish brothers and says this, brothers, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David, he died and he was buried and his tomb is here with us to this day. But David was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. But God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and and he has poured out what you see Uh, now and what you hear. Uh, He has not abandoned his his holy one to Sheol, to the grave, to Hades. What in the world is Sheol? (laughs) Um, That's what I want to talk about, at least at the beginning of the sermon. At its most basic level, Sheol is the realm of the dead. It is a grim and gloomy place, a place of silence, David elsewhere in the Psalms says that no one praises you, O God, or gives thanks to you in Sheol. It is dead quiet in Sheol, and it's dark. It's the place where the souls of the departed are separated from God and from the land of the living. The Bible pictures Sheol in a number of different ways. In in some passages, it talks about Sheol being like the earth opening up and swallowing people alive. And in fact, if you look in Jewish liter- or Jewish artwork, Sheol is depicted as the ground with this giant mouth in it, with you know, sharp fangs and teeth gaping wide to you know, gobble up everything that's around. Elsewhere, Sheol is described as a wave of encompassing and overwhelming waters. David, I think it's in Psalm, uh, uh, is it six, no, 18 maybe? He cries out to the Lord, maybe it's 19. He cries out to the Lord because the waves of Sheol encompassed me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Jonah does the same. Jonah is cast into the sea and from the belly of a fish. I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me when I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. I wonder if you've ever read Tolstoy's short novel, The Death of uh, Ivan uh, Ill- uh, Illich. Oh man, having trouble pronouncing my Russian also. Yeah, the Death of Ivan Illich. Uh, as the title suggests, it's, it's very happy, warm um, Russian literature. <laughs> Ivan Illich is a government lawyer who is living correctly. He's doing everything the way that it is supposed to be done devoting himself to law, pursuing a prestigious transfer to St. Petersburg, marrying a woman who helps him advance vocationally and in social circles, and periodically redecorating his house. One day, he's hanging draperies. Tolstoy writes, He missed a step and fell, but being a strong and agile man, he held on to the ladder and merely banged his side against the knob of the window frame. The bruise hurt for a while, but the pain soon disappeared. 
ah, but the, the fall turns out to be much more uh, severe than he realized it was. And he goes to see a doctor. The doctor says that he, tells him that he is suffering from a floating kidney. He continues to worsen, and eventually he dies this uh, horrible death from the complications of the fall. And what makes the novel so haunting, there's absolutely nothing heroic about Ivan's death. I mean, it's, it's truly an absurd death. He falls from a ladder hanging drapes, and he spends the last week of his life screaming from his bed. And there's this growing realization that Ivan experiences and that the reader experiences that that absurd death ends up making really the, the whole of his life, in retrospect, pointless, meaningless, fruitless, absurd. I'm drawing heavily this morning from some of the work done by scholar Peter Lightheart. And Peter says that, you know, often in the Bible, Sheol describes the deaths of those who have died violently and prematurely. Um, And don't you see that on Good Friday, it seems as though this is happening to Jesus? He comes announcing the kingdom of God, but then he's cut down in midlife, dying horribly. He's a so-called Messiah, But a dead Messiah is a failed Messiah. And a Messiah humiliated by the death of a Roman cross is the biggest failure of all. Uh, Dr. Lightheart writes, If any death was fruitless, shameful, premature, and violent, it is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In itself, Jesus' death looks thoroughly absurd, worthless, and meaningless until... You know, enter Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Like the Father, the Father intervenes and he refuses to allow the grave to reign supreme over his Son. There's a powerful scene in the last Harry Potter book, The Deathly Hallows, when Harry and Hermione go to the village called Godric's Hollow. You know, the village has a lot of um, um, meaning. It's named after one of the founders of Hogwarts, uh, Godric Gryffindor, who lived there. It's also the location of where some of Professor Dumbledore's family has been buried. They lived there, that Professor Dumbledore, the the headmaster. But the biggest reason that Harry wants to visit Godric's Hollow, he finds out that his own parents are buried there in a church graveyard. And there's this scene where it's nighttime and Harry and Hermione are worrying that they're being followed. So they're constantly always looking over their shoulder. The snow is falling. And they uh, go to the churchyard and they begin looking through the headstones. And finally, Hermione says, Harry, I've found it. I found them. And he walks over, and there's a white marble headstone. And it's, it's, it's you know, one of those headstones for two people. And on it, he reads, James Potter and Lily Potter. Both are born in the early 1960s, and both, of course, died on the same day, October the 31st, 1981, as they were killed by Voldemort. They're only about 21 years old, and then Harry reads the epitaph on his parents' gravestone. It reads this, The last enemy shall be destroyed is death. You say, well, what is J.K. Rowling doing in a kid's book, putting that there? She's quoting the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 
shale so often descript, uh, pictured as this gaping mouth with sharp teeth. Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four says there's a complete reversal of that image. He says death, death is swallowed up by victory. Death, death which swallows everything up no more. He says death has been gulped by resurrection. And just as though Jesus' death looked like a shield death, Jesus went to Sheol. Jesus went to the realm of the dead. Uh, he was not abandoned by the Father there. You know, one of the, uh, we, we, earlier in the service, we quoted the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, the Apostles' Creed is very instructive for us here. Remember the words of the Apostles' Creed. He suffered, and he, uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into, he descended into hell. Well, that word hell there is most likely a a mistranslation of one of the early Latin versions of the Apostles' Creed. Originally, we think most likely the creed would have read, Jesus descended ad inferna, that is, into the underworld, into Hades, into Sheol. But it was then somehow, I don't know if it was a copyist or what, but it was changed to ad infernos, infernos. Infernos, fire, hellfire. But that's most likely not what happened. Jesus did not descend into a lake of fire. He did not go to the place of eternal torment. He didn't go at least to what we understand as hell. He descended into Hades, into Sheol. And that is exactly what the creed is speaking of. What is being spoken of in Psalm 16. Actually, quite a few churches have changed their recitation of the creed to reflect this. And they say he descended into Hades. But here's what's so exciting. If you get nothing out of the sermon, get this. Jesus descended into Sheol to accomplish three great feats. Number one, he preached. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20 says that he declared his victory over Satan and over the demons who tried to destroy humanity. He preached. He went into the place of darkness and silence. And, oh, it would be so cool to hear that sermon and listen to him preach for hours. The this, this sermon, a victory sermon, uh, over Satan and the demons that were trying to destroy us. He preached, number one. Number two, He liberated the captives. This is what I think Paul is getting at in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 through 10. Where he says that he liberated, I think he liberated all of the Old Testament saints who had died in faith and were waiting for the time for them to be released. He liberated Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even David himself. All of the Old Testament saints who had gone to Sheol at their deaths and were possibly like waiting, waiting for this time, maybe in a state of sleep. It's debated among scholars, but waiting for the time of their liberation. And Paul says he liberated. And number three, the best of all, the best of all, and I'm going to give it to you in the words of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. 
And I hold the keys of death and Hades in my hand. And there is Jesus standing in front of the Apostle John, dangling the keys, the keychain that he had stolen from the jailer. He says, see these? These are mine. He robbed the grave. He's a grave robber. He robbed Sheol blind and emptied it of all of God's saints. Hallelujah. And, and one of the cool things about Psalm 16 is then because of that, we get to enjoy all of the good parts of Psalm 16. For instance, uh, there at the end, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, that is why Paul can taunt Sheol as he does in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The Son of God descended into Sheol so that he might rob it and blow it out from the inside. Amen. Can I get an amen? (laughs) And by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Father delivers the Son. And by the Son's resurrection, Jesus delivers us. He delivers us from Sheol in every sense of the word. Um, Can we go back to that original illustration that I used with the, the backpack and being weighed down with anxiety. I would suggest that most of the heaviest weights in that backpack are one form or another, the weight of death. In fact, the Bible writer, biblical writers say that uh, all of these living deaths that we experience in this life, distress, affliction, sickness, friendlessness, infertility, exile, separation from the Lord, separation from the Lord's house, famine, persecution, defeat and battle. They're all experiences of death. They all weigh us down. But with every taste of death, because the father has not abandoned his son to Sheol, with every new pound, we do not despair. We do not despair. You know, that word in Latin is literally de sperare, which means without hope. We are not without hope. We are not without hope. For the God of life in Psalm 16 triumphs over the grave. We never despair because the faithfulness of Jesus Christ is absolutely invincible. Even though we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. We don't fear evil because evil can't kill us. No, for it can only send us to that place we call gain. For us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even if we suffer, we know that we suffer, our suffering is never, is never pointless. It's never meaningless. We will never be abandoned to Sheol. No Christian will ever be abandoned to Sheol in any sense of the world. None of us will ever experience that absurd kind of death because Christ, he's blown it out of the waters. It's just as the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. For indeed, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. As the psalmist says, surely I have a delightful inheritance. Oh, yes. Now, there are so many different ways the resurrection fills us with joy. Uh, Let me just add two more to them. Two more implications of the resurrection. 
Now, the resurrection fills us with so much joy because if the resurrection is true, then the scriptures are true. Like all of the scriptures are true because the resurrection was according to the scriptures. And the resurrection was according to a psalm that was written a thousand years before it happened. Paul, he keys on this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. He says that Jesus was buried and that he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. And if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, then all of the scriptures and all the scriptures say to us is true. You know, the, another reason why the resurrection gives us so much joy is it is definitive proof that our sins are forgiven. You know, the Bible talks about Death is the result of sin. But if the resurrection of Jesus has happened, then that is proof that the penalty of our sin has been satisfied. I mean, if the penalty of our sin was still on the books, then Jesus would still be in the grave. If Jesus were not risen, then we'd still be in our sins, says Paul. But he has broken the grave open, and that means that sin has nothing on us anymore. It has nothing on us. And therefore, we are not afraid. We are not afraid of death. We, we need not be afraid or anxious about anything, about absolutely anything. I'll conclude with this. In his memoir, The Language of God, Francis Collins, the current director of the American Institute of Health and the man behind the successful Human Genome Project, he writes about his journey from being a committed atheist to uh, becoming a devout believer in Jesus Christ. The path that led him to inquire about God and Jesus was, that, was his residency program, medical residency that he did while he was in North Carolina when he worked with terminally ill patients. And what he says is that you know, the, sh- the shield that I have just presented to you was something that he saw every day as he saw so many people die like, like Ivan. Um, so many people whose death was... was pointless and, and seemingly meaningless. But what astounded him were those, those various patients who faced their death with so much shalom, so much self-confidence and poise and ballast. And he, he said there was a particular lady, a very elderly woman who, who, was treating, who he was treating that was dying. She was one of the most cheerful patients, he said, I had ever, I'd ever met. When I asked her about her joy, she talked about Jesus And one day, um, Francis Collins was meeting with her, and she turned a question back to him. She said, Doctor, well, what is it that you believe? And he thought about that. He thought, well, I'm a man of science. I've earned a Ph.D. in physical chemistry at Yale. You know, I'm completing this medical degree. Yet when he was confronted by this earnest, cheerful woman's pointed question to him, uh, he, he felt oddly ashamed. After 30 years, um, he says, I still remember how red I grew in the face and how I looked at her and I stammered back, I'm not really sure what I believe. But later on, uh, he became sure. Later on, he became sure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sure that the Father had not abandoned his Son, sure that, that the Easter message that we celebrate today is the truth, Sure that this good word uh, was the word that truly made him glad in a way that all of his professional and scientific success had never done. 
And so this is the good word that we need to hear. The Lord has not abandoned his holy one to Sheol, and he will never abandon any one of his holy ones to the grave. For in life and in death, we know that we will be rescued. Um, The God of resurrection will rescue us from that final death and all of the deaths that threaten us in this life. I mean, the good news of Easter Sunday is that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate us from, our, from his love. Even at the end of our lives, we will not descend into Sheol because nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The grave has been robbed. Death has been swallowed. Death has been gulped. The lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Surely we have a delightful inheritance. Amen. Let me pray real quick. (laughs) I should have told you that. Let me pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord of all life and power, who through the mighty resurrection of your Son overcame the old order of sin and death to make all things new in Christ, Grant that we, being dead to sin and alive to you in Jesus Christ, may reign with him in glory, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be praise and honor, glory and might, now and and in all eternity. Amen.